Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan, and with me today to talk Green Book, we have two other white guys, Michael Snydell. <laughs> Hello, I am white and, guy number one. <laughs> and Bill Graham. Woo! And um, I guess that makes me white guy zero. <laughs> so, good for me. Um, so yes, we're here to talk... The original white guy. <laughs> boy. Oh, oh, boy. That's not what you want on your resume. <laughs> oh, yikes. Eesh. Anyway. Um, this has started off so well. Guys. Look, we just had like we just had to pull the band-aid off. It's a movie about <laughs> racism. It's three white guys. It's gonna be fine. Maybe. Um but because we we've done this before, we've had this bad taste in our mouths before. <laughs> like it was just the three of us to talk about Moonlight, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Who needs optics? <laughs> <laughs> but we're aware of it, and we're bringing it up, and hopefully uh, that's good enough. Anyway, um, sorry in advance. <laughs> we've been doing so good with representation in the guests on this podcast and like finding people who have a connection to the stuff that we're talking about. And this time we just said, fuck it. Brian's from New York. That's fine enough. Let's talk about this movie. Yeah. I guess I suppose I should be clear that I actually did reach out to a few people and the person who got back to me was like, mm, uh, what else you got? <laughs> <laughs> Funny, because this movie has been getting uh, getting some love in the uh, Critics Awards and the Golden Globes circuit. Because uh, the Golden Globes mean so much. They don't mean much, but they do mean something. You know? <laughs> There's some critics associations, you know, across across c- countries. That seem to think it's worthy of some love. Yeah, it's, maybe it's even my awards. hometown one. <laughs> I um, I was gonna say the the Washington Film Critics Association, Washington Area Film Critics Association gave Mahershala Ali supporting actor, supporting or lead. Oh, wow, can't remember. Oh, yeah. he's supporting. Okay. That's what we <laughs> called him. Don't know what Michael's Mickey Mouse operation called him. <laughs> Just a whole new way to shit on people now that I'm a part of a critics group. Oh, great. You really needed that. Yeah. Uh, we, we should get started. <laughs> we should. This is started. This is fine. It, it's uh, not like we're blank check and we've started off by talking about like summer camp and our favorite soda flavor. Shout out to well, blank check. A fantastic podcast. But <laughs> rife. What, what is your favorite soda flavor, though? Honestly, it's Coke. Like I'm just super fucking lame when it comes to soda. I I love me some some Mountain Dew, man. That's that's a such a Texas Damn. thing to say. <laughs> Either Mountain Dew or Dr Pepper. I was expecting from you, Michael Snydell. Your favorite soda flavor? It's probably ginger ale, just because it goes so well with whiskey. See, that's okay. Well, so like okay. I used to spicy 
ginger beer if you've ever had it. Sure. Um, there's there's a a small place down here. I, I don't know if they're national or not. I can't even remember the name of them, but they make a ginger beer that's spicy, and it is oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> See, when I was in college, like I drank whiskey straight, but when I went to the bar, I knew I had to like slow down. So I would drink whiskey and Coke, Mm. which just made the hangovers worse because of the sugar. Is it spicy like like pop rocks almost? Is that how it almost feels in your – No. Is Uh, it like a clothes kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I I understand what you're getting at. Mouthfeel is what I'm getting at. Uh, I could kind of see that. Yeah. It's got – I don't know. I don't – I don't know if it's like a jalapeno or if it's like a chipotle. I'm not even sure like what they actually do to it. I haven't read the label recently enough because, you know, goldfish brain over here. So, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's got like a little kick to it and, and it's definitely in like the mouthfeel area. It's not like, it's not like it burns afterwards and you're like, Oh, let me go like, down a glass of milk or something no it's just like oh ooh, that's that's not what i was expecting on the finish yeah so i like that we were talking about how we had to get this episode started (laughs) and then i said hey it's not like we have tangents like favorite soda flavor and now we've spent a good three minutes talking about our favorite soda flavors i love it went to disney world once and they have like one of those cokes from around the world exhibit and like yeah, so if, if <laughs> like that, we both said that at the same time. We're like, oh, that sounds interesting. I don't know if they still have it. I think it was an Epcot or something, but it was like, you know, here's the watermelon Coke you can only get in like Japan. And it was, some of them were good. And some of them were like, I guess you have to have grown up with this. Yeah. Japan, I feel like, if judging by their Kit Kat flavors, I feel like they should have a <laughs> wasabi Coke. Or something like that, where it's just like, what the fuck, guys? If we like, seriously? if we judged all cultures purely based on Kit Kat flavors, <laughs> well, I mean, what a world we, this would be. <laughs> we would have very little options for all the other cultures except for Japan, where they would just have like 20 different flavors. And you just be like, all right, guys, I'm going to roll a dice. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, how much of a monoculture are you? How, like, conservative is your country? And it's like, well, Japan obviously is down for whatever because sure. they have if, 20 if, Kit Kat flavors. If you actually read the backstory behind why they have so many Kit Kat flavors, it's it's actually, like, really interesting. It's what? something about, like, good luck during tests. And Kit hmm. Kat, some, somehow the way that Kit Kat translates over there is basically it says something like good luck or for some reason it represents good luck. And so they give it to like school kids. And so that's why they have so many different flavors is because like I I don't want to say it's like their national like uh, candy because I definitely think they're like they probably have much more interesting like candies than Kit Kats, not to shit on Kit Kats, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like there's, there's like an interesting history behind why they have so many Kit Kat flavors. Okay. Hmm. We really do have to move on, but I found the Kit Kats in Japan Wikipedia page. There you go. (laughs) There have been more than 300 limited edition seasonal and regional flavors of Kit Kats produced in Japan since 2000. Wow. Since 2000. Yeah. Jesus. That's a lot. There's some, that's, there's some crazy Oreo flavors, too. 
I, I'm going to say there's at least a hundred <laughs> different Oreo flavors. We, yeah. And we get those. Like there's, there's yeah, a oh, bunch. Yeah. favorite uh, Oreo over here at the, the, the winter like white fudge covered ones. Mm. Only, no, white chocolate. Yeah, it's like a white chocolate fudge covered Oreo. Oh. You can only eat like two because it's like a hat on a hat with the sweetness. <laughs> Wait, have like, you eaten a hat before? Are, are you, are you <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting candy choice, Brian. <laughs> bold, bold choice, sir. Look, you dip anything in chocolate, it becomes candy. <laughs> Okay, we definitely got to get started. So yeah, uh, find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show. Find us on Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Give us a comment or rating on iTunes. Email us podcast to thefilmstage.com. Tell us your favorite Kit Kat flavor. I was just about to say that. (laughs) Or Coke flavor. Um, Obviously, (laughs) patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. For as little as $1 an episode, you get access to super cool raffles um and our slack channel and uh there you can talk to us more about kit kats and coke flavors and um yeah uh what else (laughs) (laughs) movie is our sponsor i feel like we just need to start over I'm like so off now because we spent a legitimately no, insane no. amount gotta, of time. That was good. Gotta that was push. the good part gotta. of this podcast. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, so movie is the uh, streaming cinema where you can uh, get a, a new. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, what am I doing? Movie every day. They introduce a new film to their platform and you have 30 days to watch. That means you always have 30 great titles to select from that are constantly rotating. You can use your smart TV, your phone if you're a monster, your laptop, all various types of streaming devices. There's some great stuff on there now. Last week, we talked about Pina, uh, Vim Vendor's Academy Award-nominated documentary. There's some other great stuff. Uh, one of them that sounded particularly interesting to me is called Senoritas. Colombian-born, Canada-based Lena Rodriguez elegantly questions the role of young women in patriarchal society with her first two features, having been compared to Lena Dunham's girls, Senorita beautifully captures the minutia of adolescence and is imbued with a refreshingly subtle feminism. So that is on the platform. Check it out. Um, they I'd also like to do an- one plug two for a, a Touch of Sin, which is the film of the day. On the day we're recording on Sunday, which uh, is from uh, Gia Zanke, who's uh, one of the kind of uh, giants of uh, Chinese cinema at the moment, and this is a really good. Um, it's really it's his last film before his new film uh, next year, which is called uh, Ashes Purest White, which I had uh, a chance to see at a, at a festival earlier this year, and I can't recommend it enough. So uh, to get ready for that next year, uh, you can see his last film. I know I'm I'm definitely going to check it out. All right. And as always, you can get a free 30-day trial of movie by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. So we've done it. We've finally gotten to the point where we can talk about the movie at hand. And that, of course, (laughs) you know, I know. I'm sorry, Michael. That, of course, is the Golden Globe-nominated Green Book. Uh, Its nominations are for Best Screenplay. From Nick Vallelongo, Brian Hayes Curry, and Peter Farley. Best Director, Peter Farley. Uh, Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, Viego Mortensen. And Best Performance by an Actor in Supporting Role in a Motion Picture, Mahershala Ali. 
So that's great. I was just able to get through all of the credits for this movie by reading its Golden Globe Awards. So now I don't have to do that. Anyway, here is the trailer. Yeah. Some guy called over here, a doctor. He's looking for a driver. You interested? I am not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I'm about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South. What other experience do you have? Public relations. Do you foresee any issues in working for a black man? You and the Deep South? There's going to be problems. Promise me you're going to write me a letter. No problems. Tell me that don't smell bad. I've never had fried chicken in my life. All right. That is the trailer for Green Book, a movie inspired by a true friendship. No? No one's going to bite on that one? All right. So this movie charts the true story of Dr. Don Shirley and his driver, uh, Tony Vallelongo, also known as Tony Lip, played by Viggo Mortensen, and their journey leading up to Christmas through the Deep South as Dr. Don partakes a concert tour. Over the course of their travels, they learn more about each other and, um, you know, heartwarming learning and lessons are, are are brought to bear on us all so movie's been getting some critic love some golden globe love it's steadily chugging along in limited release limited ish release i think it's like now over a thousand theaters let's see what we thought about it let's start with michael snydell yeah so yeah as, as brian was saying a green book is kind of it, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing in the sense that even when, you know, first trailers came out, people were talking about it as the next like crossover success in the vein of something like the blind side, like something that would seem like it was going to be, you know, kind of a four quadrant home run uh, around the Thanksgiving season. Um, And it's, it's interesting the ways that this both conforms to what you expect with a buddy trip movie and the ways that it also feels a little more thoughtful. Uh, ultimately, I, I don't think it. I don't think it works. Um, but I think that it's a little bit too easy to dismiss. And and I don't think it's quite in the same vein as some of the larger discussions we've had about. Um, racism 101 in like mainstream Hollywood films. You know, uh, I I, I know that we have some disagreements on this podcast here about three billboards across uh, Abbey, Missouri. And um, I don't know if we disagree about crash, but nonetheless, those have two things that have been paired together in terms of their shortcuts in um, portraying racism. And I think that green book, does at times try to in the for the purpose of trying to find universality between these two characters from very very different um perspectives and worldviews it, it does it, it does stoop to some broadness that feels less like comedy and more like laziness but Nonetheless, I think that there is, especially because of these two actors, and I think especially Marshall Ali, um, there is a real attempt to try to make these more than just uh, uh, more than just two characters. These they try to make these two 
real people. And I, I mean, I, I'm being somewhat vague here because I, I think that to outline what works about this requires talking about their interpersonal relationship over a long period of time. And I think that in that way, this film somewhat works, but it, there were definitely times where I was cringing really hard, where I was pretty uncomfortable with some of the broad strokes that were happening. But again, I, I, I don't, I didn't. I don't hate this movie as I <laughs> as much as I thought. Like I, I, I you were violently was, opposed to doing this movie for a while. No, I know, and I, I, I think I am because I think, um, because I don't know what we're gonna have to say about it. If I'm being completely honest, maybe that's the best way to open this conversation. Is that it's not just the optics of three white dudes, and you know, seeing a number of the controversies around this, you know. Short of maybe Vice, you haven't seen this much like early, really strong reactions to a film getting awards consideration. Um, and I think that comes from many different places. And I think it's complicated by a, a story that came out from, I believe it was Vanity Fair, where they spoke to um, – where they spoke to uh, Don Shirley's children about what they mm-hmm. thought of the portrayal. Mm-hmm. And they had some, to put it mildly, unkind things to say about this film's vision of reality. So I, I think the, the long story short is that I don't think this is a particularly good movie, but I think that there are a lot of variables here that are are oddly enough easy to also discuss in broad strokes. So I think I was just afraid that we were going to either, you know, just hate on this movie in a way that wasn't thoughtful or productive or (laughs) alternately you guys love this and then I'm going to have to, (laughs) I'm going to have to fight it at at which point I don't really want to be in that position. So I think that's where my really I, I guess I'm now editorializing why I didn't want to do this movie. But I I, I hope that there's some uh, I hope that makes some level of, of sense. I, I just think that even beyond widows, this this seems like something that we could say a few things and be very uh, and be done on. Um yeah, I don't know. Or or we could just, you know, talk about folding a pizza for 40 minutes. We oh, could Jesus. we could talk about that. I do want to before we move on to Bill's thoughts, I want to bring up um I don't think Don Shirley had children. Um the article oh, no. maybe it's his, his niece. I, yeah, I so the thing that I have been able to find um That's my fault. I, is I on Shadow play. and Act and it's talking about sure. um NPR's 1A or yeah, 1A Movie Club. And apparently on that, uh, some of his family members, including his younger and last living brother and a niece. So not his children. Okay. Fair enough. Just so, just so we nip that in the bud before we get mean tweets. I already know that I've probably made a mistake sometime earlier <laughs> in this podcast. So okay, fantastic. I appreciate the clarification. Yes. All right. Bill Graham. 
So I came into it knowing that this film had kind of a a middle run kind of reaction. Some people really disliked it. A lot of people seem to enjoy it quite a bit. I think it's a, a particularly well-crafted film. Um, it hits a lot of the beats, a lot of the emotions that you would hope that this film kind of does. Well, m- maybe not beats, but the emotions that you would kind of hope it does. And I think it is in that way, definitely a crowd pleasing film. Um, that is not to say that necessarily the subject matter is something that's supposed to be crowd pleasing. Um, you know, there's, there's always room for debate about like whether this shut, this stuff should be like easy to digest by wide audiences or whether this should be a rough pill to swallow. And I think this film definitely feels like, well, let's let's make it easy. Um, it does touch on class, and it does touch on certain things within Shirley's own life that I'm sure he likely felt and was going through. How much of that actually plays out on screen is difficult because Shirley is a very reserved character portrayed by the film. Um, And so we don't get a lot of his internal dialogue. We don't get a lot of his internal things because this film is very much from the perspective of Vigo's character. And that's unfortunate because Vigo's character is more of a everyday character that we would normally see on screen versus I think Don Shirley's character would definitely be a much more interesting perspective to focus on this film uh that being said i think it does do a decent job of trying to give us a narrative that actually makes sense without getting bogged down in a lot of unfortunate historical details that probably peppered this actual event and what happened um ultimately i think it's it's fairly entertaining i think it, it does a decent job of maybe kickstarting some of that dialogue um it, it plays a lot of lip service to a lot of things um but i don't know i i think i think the performances are fantastic i think across the board you know look i've i've been a gigantic vigo fan ever since lord of the rings mahershal ali ever since he showed up on screen in Moonlight. And I think even before that, I can't remember. House of where Cards I, is where I remember first seeing see, him. See, I, I never, I never uh, rode that House of Cards train beyond like the pilot episode. So um, <laughs> you didn't miss much. I'll say, how <laughs> yeah. could you not have been a fan of Vigo Mortensen as Weps in Crimson Tide? That is that one of my rolls. blind spots. That movie is the goddamn best. We like. I ne- I need to do. I need to see that movie. Classic I, episode. <laughs> classic episode. If we could just make every classic episode about Tony Scott movies. <laughs> hey, look, God rest his soul. Right, uh, he's a fantastic Under. director. First of all, uh, yeah, I mean, Unstoppable is one of the best movies of the decade. Oh God, fuck yeah, yeah. I remember it is a missile that. the size of the Chrysler building. 
I remember watching that on Christmas, like around the Christmas holiday with my grandpa, who famously uh, would always spoil every movie all the time. Uh, (laughs) But he hadn't seen it. So he was quiet throughout. And and I was like, this is enjoyable. (laughs) (laughs) Though I really thought there was going to be like a bigger punchline there. No, he was just quiet. He just sat back and enjoyed the film, <laughs> and, and it was delightful. <laughs> Mahershala Ali has also apparently been in um, Predators. What? He was in Predators? Yeah, he played a character called Mombasa, and then he was in The Place Beyond the Pines, and then wow. um, he was apparently in Treme, which I do not remember. In the Hunger Games? Yeah, he was Boggs. Oh yeah, I remember him in Hunger Games for sure. He was like a he was like an army dude. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I do not remember him in Trey, and now that is going to drive me crazy. Mike, in, in case you're for you're forgetting, there were four of those Hunger Games films, and he was in like the last two. So don't don't okay. don't get. Don't get uh, too upset with yourself. Uh, there were a lot of them before he came on the scene. Bill, <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely didn't remember that I've seen four of those movies. <laughs> I'm sorry for jogging that memory. <laughs> I think I like the third one. All right. It, we, I guess we're talking about Green Book. <laughs> we are. <laughs> I just, um, I just, I had to, I had to do some justice yeah. for Vigo because his work oh. in Crimson Tide is amazing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, fair enough. Um. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think I've I've said my piece. It's it's okay. it's extremely well acted. It's well well directed. I just don't know about how much historical context it it necessarily does justice to what was happening during this time and and the characters that it portrays. Um, this is a longstanding fallacy with uh, just in general based on a true story films, right? Um, if you go in expecting them to have a lot of historical context or a lot of like truth, um, you're generally disappointed by the reality. So. Yeah, I, um, I, 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 so I really, I really wanted to see this movie. Um, the trailer was good. I thought, you know, I liked, I liked the humor in it. I, I dig Viggo Mortensen. I love Mahershala Ali. And, um, I was interested in this movie because for, for like people keep calling this a white savior movie, um, which I don't think is true except for the fact that like, he's literally been hired to be like muscle for this guy. <laughs> So in that sure. way, like just in the same way, I guess like the bodyguard is a white savior movie. Like, mm-hmm. it, but I, I feel like if it's in his job title, it's a little unfair to level that at the movie. But sure. I think that what, what made me most interested in this movie was the way that it wrestles, not just with racism, but also classism and the way that race and class like intermingle, which is something that not a lot of, of movies that are, quote unquote like this do um hidden figures comes to mind just because they but sort of like, like driving miss daisy kind of at least topic or uh uh topically about that but i mean in that 
the the old the old woman is the the rich one, right? And sure, I mean, I haven't I haven't yes. ever seen that movie. I only know it as a punchline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of these mm-hmm. days, I really ought to watch it. Um, though wasn't wasn't um, James Earl Jones did like that on Broadway at some point? I do so believe so. I, I believe so. If I could find that, I think I'd rather watch that because I love me some James Earl Jones. But anyway, no, I I found it interesting the kind of reversal of like here is an affluent well-educated black man and here is like an uncouth lower class white guy because as as uh racial tensions and uh, a resurgence of like white supremacy have swept our nation once again sadly i've been doing a lot of um reading and research from a lot of different people about what it is that drives things like like uh like wh- like why is why is white supremacy and like white identitarianism so important to like lower class white people who should presumably be interested in the same social programs that like you know more liberal politicians or especially like democratic socialists are positioning out in the world um because there is inherent in a lot of of you know white lower class racism this idea that like you may be on the lowest rung of the economic ladder but you're still white and that still makes you better than black people and so like when people bring up like you know oh so many people in the civil war weren't slave owners so how can you say they were fighting for slavery the counter is they weren't owning slaves but they were still better than them in the eyes of that society. So of course they would want to preserve that. And so it's an interesting dynamic to look at now, especially as like the question of like identity politics versus class politics crops up almost every other day, you know, online and in talking points. And I thought that the movie did a, a fairly decent job of actually making the movie as much as it is about, race obviously because like that's the first thing that someone would notice it it brings up these these issues of class and this kind of idea that we've seen played out in certain movies about like what is it that like saps you uh, of your authenticity once you've reached a higher economic level and the movie isn't like a deep dark meaningful look at that but I think that the fact that it bothers with it at all is actually very interesting. And, you know, clearly, like, Vigo and, and Ali are just, like, great in this movie. They're they're fun. They're, like, really living in these characters. You know, I, I, I know guys like Tony Lip. Uh, I've hung out with them. <laughs> fine, fine people, I guess. But it is interesting, like... I've seen so many people on on Twitter and on the internet, you know, I don't know if I've actually seen anyone in person who's seen this movie. Um, but they're all saying, like, this is a white savior movie where, like, a white guy who is a racist teaches, like, a black guy not to be racist. And I don't think that that's true. And I think that that's one of those those things that the movie is, like, carefully sidestepping by making it more about class. Like, he... Don Shirley views himself in a strata 
that is above people like Tony Lip. And Tony Lip is a type of guy who's like at a lower economic rung, but clearly in the beginning of the movie, even though that is the case, even though he is like struggling to like keep his family in their home, he still views himself as superior to the uh, the African-American men who were sent to like fix his sink, like to the point that he throws out their water glasses. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's and it's that it's that that has to get changed. And so I think the movie is less about like it, and it's I, there's so much to like come at. And I, I sort of wish that we'd had someone on this podcast who was like one of these people. So I just didn't seem to be battling straw men. But when you say that, like, a movie like this seems to just say we should get over stuff and just be friends, like, I think you're discounting the very real reality that, like, self-segregation without any, like, overt malice can cause a gulf and a misunderstanding that causes more problems than it fixes. And, And so, you know, you don't have to go hang out with someone who's, like, lobbying for the extermination of your people and tony lip obviously doesn't think of himself as racist he just doesn't have any he doesn't want anything to do with those people and you know studies have proven that like if you get to know someone on an individual level you can in fact change their mind if they're not one of those people who's like devoted to the extermination of blacks homosexuals sure. catholics and and foreigners like you know like well, you... and even even those viewpoints have have historically you know very i guess in a popular context been changed as well like yeah. we, you know there there are kkk members that have befriended black people i guess in in some fashion or another and ended up just saying you know Maybe I was wrong and like switching sides. And And the way that people like the way that people respond to that kind of story, Bill, is they're usually like, oh, great. You're finally acting like a person like, you know, you've you've banished the hate from your heart, but it shouldn't have been there in the first place. It's like, okay, but it was. And that person did change. And like, if you're not willing to grant someone that that is a step of progress, then then I don't understand what we're doing here. Like, if if you're not going to allow that, like, people can evolve and change, and then, you know, especially if they're not, like, asking for congratulations for it, like, if they're sure. just saying, like, you know, I, I, used to, I used to think that, like, I don't know, people with blonde hair were all dumb, but then I made, like, I made friends with this guy who had blonde hair, and he was really smart, and so now I realize, like, we're all just people. But, like... People do, in fact, have like tribal mentalities and like anyone at some point will make a generalization about any weird specific group. And it is it sometimes does just come down to like, have you met one of them? Have you talked to them? Like, have you sat down? Like when I was a kid, a kid, like when I was in middle and high school, or I guess like middle school and like freshman year of high school, like I didn't have a problem with like homosexuals, but there was a part of me that was like, I don't get it. It seems weird. And I, I realized looking back on it that like, it's because I didn't know any, mm-hmm. um, mm. all I had was like what TV was showing me. And at that point it sure. was, it was like the pride parade, which looks even now just like overwhelming, but now it's overwhelming in a cool way. Pride and back then it was like, 
What was that? Say, I, the Chicago Pride Parade. I've been a few different times. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but like when you're when you're a kid and all you've ever seen are people who are like you, and then suddenly you you see like the Pride Parade. Sure. It's like shocking. It's like, well, what the hell is that lifestyle? And then you sure. see like and 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 it's particularly because that's adults acting that way, which you know, in general, you're adults that are around you especially as a school age child are very like buttoned down and right you know, exactly. reserved and you're just like whoa what the fuck is that it's like burning man would have sca- <laughs> like not scared sure. me but like struck me in the same way and then the other thing is like so then even when we have like quote-unquote good representation or like normalizing representation like will and grace it's still like okay but jack is like overwhelming and so like when two of my really good friends in high school came out um by like dumping their girlfriends and starting to date each other (laughs) it was like oh okay that's amazing by the way yeah Yeah, i mean it was it was pretty crazy i um yeah fuck you i want to fuck him (laughs) i don't think it was like mean but like it definitely was like you know i'm not gonna name them but they were both like well, one of them was a ladies' man. The other guy was, was like, very awkward and weird. Um, and then one day they were just like, hey, so, like, we're not dating our girls anymore, and, and now we're dating each other. And then another girl who lived, like, a block away from me came out, a les- uh, came out as a lesbian. And it was just like, oh, okay, so, like, this is reality. Like, it's not all of the stuff that, like, we see in, uh-huh. in TV. Because, like, uh-huh. nothing changed. They were still the same. And like mm-hmm. even in even in shows like Thirty Rock, you know, when you show um, Liz Lemon's like nephew or something coming out, mm-hmm. he immediately goes to New York, gets covered in glitter, and then like goes to pick up guys of the Port Authority. Like, but like that's not how it works. It, it's a funny episode. Like you can't <laughs> like deny. Um, but like it it does work that way. Like it, it like if you don't take the time to get to know anyone else, if you and especially like at that time in that city, like. You know, there were different ethnic mobs because, like, people just needed to protection from, like, the other ethnicities around them, like the Irish mob and the Italian mob and the Polish mob. Like, that's what they were doing. Like, they were still afraid of each other. And so I think this movie does a a decent job of showing the way that, like, you can get to know someone, still not really like most of the things about them, but also still get to understand who they are as a person and like open yourself up in that way. And I I don't, I don't like, I just, there's something like weird in our culture where like people hate stories about that. And it's like, shouldn't, if that did happen, which it appears to have at least to some degree, shouldn't we be like celebrating that and like trying to make that happen? Like, shouldn't we be trying to reach out to people and like, Like, you know, obviously don't put yourself in danger, but like if someone says some bullshit, just say like, well, hey, and it's something that like is related to you, like say like, hey, that's me. And like, I can tell you some stuff. And like, this is clearly a very different example. But like I was at a party once where someone was talking about like Christians and saying that like they all wanted to like lock women up in like, you know, breeding camps and stuff. And I just like wandered over half drunk and I was like, wait, I'm a Catholic, man. And he was like, oh, so you like don't believe in evolution? I was like, no, man, like I believe in evolution. The, the Pope says that evolution is real. 
And he's like, oh, but like we're the center of the universe. I'm like, no, like what's wrong with you? Like, and we just had this conversation. It was clear that like this guy had never taken the time to talk to someone who like believed in God or Jesus before. And by the end of the party, I don't think he's going to go out and convert, but at least he's like not quite as mean about it anymore. (laughs) And I think that it's like micro steps like that, but like we've come to a point in society where like micro steps make us anxious and angry because we feel like it should all be fixed by now. I think, which I I think, no, go ahead, Brent. I was going to say, which I totally understand. Like I would love everything to be fixed by now, but you can't discount the small steps because it's still a step forward. And and Michael, what were you going to say? I know. I, I, yeah, I, I think that I I think you're right about the, the, the way of small steps and, and the way that, representation has a very difficult time only recognizing those small steps. But I think that, you know, in the context of white savior, that, that does feel like an inaccurate description to me, but I think there is something as much as we're talking about false steps, like we can't pretend that this isn't filtered through a perspective of someone who does have to learn this in an extremely simplistic and sometimes um, I found parts of it insulting. I know we are going to disagree about that, but what I'm saying is I think that's where some of this conversation comes is that like why do, do these micro steps always have to come on the terms of white people? I think that's the problem with a lot of these is that so many of these movies are – these micro steps and this representation that we're trying to move forward, but it's still within this, you know, monolithic mold. Like mm-hmm. even, even, you know, uh, Don Shirley is such an, he's like such an interesting missed opportunity to me in a way, in the sense that, I, I mean, one, I don't, I, I think Marshall Ali makes, uh, as much as he can of a very limited character that is, as Bill said, like partly very intentionally reserved and internal because he's dealing with a number of things, but also like the conversations he has about not feeling like he belongs with white people, not feeling like he belongs with black people. And, you know, the class things that you're talking about, Brian, I think that those are good in fits and starts. Like you, I really liked, for instance, the scene where uh, Tony, uh, Viggo Mortensen's characters, for instance, shooting dice with all of the other chauffeurs outside this mansion. <laughs> and, you know, like, was, it, it's yeah. a, I, I, I use that because that's one of an, a, many different scenes where, or, or I'm saying a, a few different scenes that don't, that don't yell about some of those class differences. Like, mm-hmm. l- l- like I think some of the stuff also where Vigo is like, you don't know, little Richard, these are your people. Like just, that stuff and you know the less we talk about kfc the better but <laughs> well that's fun. what's funny is that i think like those are moments like the bad moments like the the little richard kfc thing is like they're the aisle crossing moments like i'm not gonna pretend they're not yeah but, but it's but just why do we but why do we have to have that filtered and why should you know in, in the case of you know, a black writers who have been very angry about this film. Like, mm-hmm. why do they have to continually deal with things like this? Like, I don't like widows, but I know 
but I can recognize that that film at least provides a huge spectrum of women and especially black women. Like I, like I just, you you know, you compare these two films and it's odd because both of these, I have uh, social problems that lead into like narrative problems, but, Mm -hmm. but it's still, the weird thing about Green Book is, you know, it is very genial, but it also seems almost all the more problematic because of that. Like, it, it parts of this film, oddly enough, you know, it was interesting Bill was saying, you know, whether it's an easy or hard pill to swallow. And after watching this movie, I was thinking a little bit about Detroit mm-hmm. and how... Wow. I I watched that with a with a friend of mine that is African American, and by the middle of that movie, it was, uh, yeah, it, you know, I, I didn't particularly enjoy that film, but I could definitely tell the effect it was having on him. I am. Um, what was it? I think you know. Speaking of blank check again, blank check and um, the 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 other podcast that I really like, uh, Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, had a mm-hmm. crossover episode for Detroit, and uh-huh. like they were furious at that movie, <laughs> like they yeah. hated that movie. And I I think I remember on this podcast that uh, I hated it for many of the same reasons they did. But I, I'm curious, Michael, to know where this this is going. <laughs> sure. No, I was I, I was talking about how Detroit in the same way that, you know, uh, there's been a lot of talk obviously about it focusing on brutality, but also about how it was almost not all whites in the sense of you had these, you know, three main white people who were varying caricatures, you know, like who had varying prejudices. You had one who was terrified by uh, the size of black men's, uh, penises you had Mm. one who um who just felt like all the opportunities were being taken and you had one who was you know uh just going along with the others because he was afraid to break from ranks Mm -hmm. and so like in the same way that that failed so completely because it because it was a movie about trying to understand you know blame and the way that history you know uh, lets us off for racism, but then also made everything so simplistic. I think Green Book is almost a parallel in that sense. It, you know, when you when you think about some of the things, whether uh, a scene in this film where uh, he's not able to dine in the table, and and so you have this guy who initially seems very polite, who then behind closed doors is like, uh, don't don't bullshit me. We both know this person should not be allowed to, to dine here. So that like, uh, what I'm saying is that those contrasting extremes that are sometimes mediated here, but, but then mostly sincerely remind me of Detroit. So I guess that's, um, I I feel like I maybe did too much of a preamble (laughs) and got off track here, but, um, I am. Does does that make sense? At all in that sense, it it sort of makes sense. But here's, I will I will begin by saying that yeah, Green. First of all, here's a here's a great thing that I should have said up front. I don't think this movie should be called Green Book. There is a very sure. good movie to be made about the story of the Green Book, mm-hmm. and that thing's so fucking cool. I never yeah. knew about it. 
I um I had heard a podcast about its creation and like that's like a great story that should be called like Green Book and I guess now it's gonna have to yeah. be called something else if they ever make it. This should have been called literally anything else. Um I You should I, probably contextualize it, Brian. About what the Green Book is? Yeah. That's I, true, because the movie doesn't even do that great of a job of it. Um so the Green Book was a a book that was made to help African Americans and uh, yeah, African American motorists as they traveled the country to basically be like, here are these safe places to go, sure. and here are the places to avoid. Um, in this movie, they have uh, they drive through and are caught in a sundown town, which is uh, a horrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> then um, it's um, I don't know, I don't know. There's not like a good way for me to say what it is. Uh, like the logline for what a sundown town is is. If you're black, don't let the sun set on you there. Um, they would have signs. You can look them up. I think um, Throckmorton, Texas or something had um, has like Woo-hoo! signs that you can find online. Um, <laughs> Maybe not Wahoo to that. <laughs> Bill's just like, yeah, represent Texas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like so, if you if you want to see like what some of these signs are, like it's uh it, they're they're real bad. Like it's it's like they're 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 vicious. Like they're mean. They're basically like you can like drive through here and maybe you can even like come and do some shopping here. But if you're here after dark, like it's we're gonna we're gonna kill you. <laughs> like it's gonna get real bad. Um, and um, so like yeah, the green the green book was a way to safely travel. Without having to to get over any of that stuff, and so in this movie, like they give him a copy of that, and there are moments where like he can't stay in the same hotel as him, and like has to drop him off in like an appreciably shitty part of town. But like it doesn't. The movie is not about that green book, and that green book was like a lifesaver to people who had to travel across the country. And so I think calling this movie Green Book is really weird. And it doesn't do the the green book itself justice. Um, as for as for that concept of like, why does it have to be done on on the terms of of white people? Like, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Like, you know, why does growth have to happen just when they're ready? And I, I like part of me just wants to be like, because growth can only ever happen when someone is ready. Like, you can't. You can't force and re-educate someone. And, like, it's weird because, you know, for us, I assume, um, racism is a detestable idea that we don't understand the, uh, like, the inherent value of towards some people's lives. But, like, some people are super tied into the concept of their race making them inherently better than other people. Mm-hmm. And if you have that idea, um, it's important to you to hold on to it. And so you know, it's, it's a process. And I, I think that like, you know, whether you want to talk about the, the lens through which the story is told, you know, who has like the real, the real ball of the narrative, you know, that makes a lot of sense, but I'm, I would be curious to see a movie that, that like forced change on someone who wasn't ready or like made it. Uh, I mean, it's almost actually kind of Mad Men. (laughs) Mad Men um, has a little bit of that because Sterling Cooper, Draper Price, like fumbles into the civil rights moment uh, movement um, yeah. and they are mm-hmm. clearly not ready for it. But like PR demands that they hire a black secretary and like people in the office, like 
you know, there's, there's still not like great. And like Peggy still has her moment where she's worried to like leave her pocketbook alone with this girl. But like, like, I like, yeah, like that's kind of the thing. It's like, they were not prepared for it. It got shuffled onto them. And then after like a while, the biggest problem they had is that Don's secretary was named Don. (laughs) And like, and that's, and that's kind of actually super interesting too, because then they, um, eventually get uh, another uh, black secretary named Shirley and Don and Shirley will greet each other by calling each other the other's name, uh, making fun of the way that I guess all the white people in the office mix them up. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I know I'm on a madman tangent. Like, I think it's just, it would be a whole different story if it was the type of thing where like someone who's not ready to change is forced into it. And like, I don't know, like American History X maybe has that just because they're like stuck in jail together. But I actually find this a little easier to swallow than American History X's. Because <laughs> curb stomping in this. <laughs> well, no, no, like I just like, you know how like Edward Norton at some point is like, oh, you know, maybe black people don't suck. But it's just because he like meets a cool one in jail who like makes him laugh. Yeah. And it it always came off as like a little bit like patronizing. Like that movie plays differently in 2018, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. And like again, it's it's one of those weird things and I think people just have a like a real issue with it cuz like you have to like when someone when someone in one of these movies like has that growth that allows them to like move out of their racism, you know, they have to be some level of extreme racism. Like they can't just be like someone who's like, I don't hate black people. I just don't want them in like my neighborhood. Like, mm. you know, they can't be one of those people. Cause like the, the eventual evolution of that person is like, like so small and like so shitty and like, so, you know, narratively disappointing, I guess. Like, cause there's like nothing sure, to push sure. back against. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, and so you, if, you, if, if you've seen Deadpool two, it is, uh, is being lucky a superpower. And it's like, uh, that's real hard to be cinematic. And it's like, okay, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's the, I mean, like, that's the thing. And like, it, it is the question of like, these are the stories that we, we tell and we tell them for a specific reason because, they are they're they're more compelling that way and like some uh, you know obviously anyone can make a story out of anything i think that when you have one of the Farrelly brothers you know you're gonna get the easier version of the story um i will say that detroit i had a problem with not because of like the broadness of it but just because of like the cruelty and meanness and like sure you know, it was something that I, um, uh, you know, to, to crib something from Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, a, a great podcast that everyone should listen to. Um, like one of the guys on there, I think it's Jarrah, really hates movies like like Detroit and like 12 Years a Slave because he just mm-hmm. is tired of seeing like violence visited upon black bodies as like sure. a way to like sponge up audience sympathy because like there's almost nothing – there's nothing worse than being like, how do we get the audience on the side of this, you know, quote unquote other? Like, let's assume we're pitching to like a white cishet, you know, middle class person in the audience. Like, what do we sure. do to like get through to them that this is a human being who's like worthy of empathy? What if we just fuck them up? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So like, sure. let's have like the gay guy get beaten outside of a bar. 
Like, let's have the black slave get whipped. Let's have, like, the transsexual... I was just about to do a spoiler for a movie that I can't even remember, like, the name of. But, like, it's just... It's it's rough. And, like, it's... I I just don't like seeing that. And so, like, Detroit really rubbed me the wrong way in in that way. Like, it's just like a... It's it was like I remember talking about like it was almost like too well made. It was like almost too good. It just was like, sure. And what did we learn from it? Like not much. Like at least this movie, like these are characters. Like I remember their names, and I couldn't tell you a single character from Detroit because like they were never granted that grace of like character building because of the immediacy of the story. And like the first half hour of that movie, you don't even see any of the characters that you then spend the next like two hours with. Sure. And this movie is you could divorce this movie from all the race and everything involved and just make it a story about like these two unlikely people from the wrong like different sides of the tracks who like forge a friendship just because like of who they are. (laughs) And like, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to say this is a movie is like the perfect tonic for racism that we need in America right now. Um, I would never say that Um, it's not as good as Widow's just to bring up another movie that we we talked about. Um, but I'll just say, like, it's, it's like a fine, entertaining story that, like, does tackle this from, like, a, a, an angle that I think hasn't been really viewed. And at the end of the day, when it was over, I was like, all right, I liked it. <laughs> Bill, you, you were going to say something. Oh, I was I was just gonna mention you know Zero Dark Thirty in comparison to uh, Detroit and how that depiction of you know violence visited upon people is in service of a storyline and a narrative that was very omnipresent at that time in America and you know maybe even across the world about like what you are okay with your government doing to someone that is maybe possibly the enemy to get information out of them that maybe possibly will help your cause and like keep your own people safe. And that film like basically challenged that narrative and, you know, made you think upon it because it had a, a very nuanced approach to it. I would say some people are, some people take that film in a very like, no, this, this is a pro torture film. And some people are like, no, this is a, uh, anti torture film. And I'm like, I it's a Rorschach test. I think it's definitely both. I think it's. I think it's, I think it 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 reflects what you take in and like come upon that film with like what your narrative is internally. And so I think a lot of people present their own narratives on top of that film when I think it very much is giving you both angles and basically saying like you fucking decide. Well, like I'm not going to tell you. What's especially weird about that bill is no one who was pro or anti-torture saw it as pro or anti-torture. Like it was always like if I think torture is a good thing, I think this movie isn't for torture. And if I think torture is a bad thing, I think this movie is for torture. Like, yeah, which is a really interesting dynamic. There's like movies that do that, but they're usually actually, yeah, they're almost always politically motivated. Um, Well, you see, I I, I think that's an interesting thing because that maybe helps me pinpoint a little bit more what what I'm 
you know, like when we're talking about Zero Dark Thirty and, and Detroit, I think the other thing is that I, I, I wanted I wanted to just kind of finish that no, thought real please. quick. Um, Detroit definitely like doesn't posit any good in that in that wheelhouse of like is torturing a black person a good thing, and it's like no, like I don't I don't understand where like where there's like a balance of that, and so showing it in the amount that it does never feels like it ever unbalances like what it's actually showing if that makes sense like like at least some of the torture in in zero dark 30 you get a sense of a you i'm trying to remember because i i haven't seen that film in a little bit but i don't think you expressly see anything necessarily vicious or violent you definitely understand like what waterboarding is from that film mm-hmm. but like even that isn't an outwardly violent act whereas like the things that happen to the kids in detroit are fucking like horrendous and you're just like okay like the film never never unbalances that act and so showing it never gets unbalanced and yeah i think i think that's part of the reason why detroit just leaves so many people just unsettled because it's like and not that there's anything that it could unbalance that with but like I don't know. Well, here's I think I think yeah. like what you're saying, Bill, is almost like so in in Zero Dark Thirty, they are torturing people, and it's usually like you know you're in a stress position and we're blaring music and flashing the lights, and so it's not like old school ripping fingernails out with pliers, but like it's still bad. And um, why torture becomes a moral gray area is because you can, with like carefully phrased questions, make someone who is anti-torture like admit to its its efficacy or usefulness like it's the it's the 24 thing you know it's it's like let's say that you could save a million people but you had to torture the shit out of one person in order to get like a password from them would you Uh do it it's like well you know i guess like you know you you can you can make that happen and 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 there's there there's there was a movie that was like that i think it starred like samuel jackson and michael sheen Anyway, doesn't imp- it's not important. But the the difference is so like Zero Dark Thirty is aware of that, and the guy only gives up the information after they've stopped torturing him and started treating him like a human being. So then at that point you're like, well, does that mean that the torture worked because like he was susceptible to kindness? Like it's so gray and there's all this like swirling uncertainty, and that's what makes the story interesting. Detroit is just fucking cruel. And I don't know that there's any good, reasonable human being who would ever say that anything that happens in that situation is worthwhile. Like, that's the difference, is that, like, there is no moral gray area, and there is no, like, broader social efficacy to be wrought from that. And so, like, to bring it back to, to Green Book in a way is, like, you know, it's it's almost like you can't... You, this movie doesn't even bother to wrestle with most of that. Like, obviously there's never a point where it needs to bring up like torture and hatefulness, but like also it just, it's like kinder. And so it becomes more about humanity and, and like crossing barriers. And for some reason that like that, that has the same effect on people because like in Detroit, it's like, okay, well at least like clearly they're evil like you know the the people hurting hurting uh the african-americans in that one but in this movie it's like 
you know, he's just a a dick. Like, but then he becomes like slightly less of a dick and like learns to like this one black guy and you know, that may ripple outwards and he won't he won't hate all the other ones who are in his neighborhood. And like, but that that simplicity and that sweetness is almost like worse to people in the broader culture because like they either want you to be a crazy villain or they want you to like have started as an angel and they either want you to be punished or they want you to just like continue to live as a good person. But like you have to allow for like a little bit of growth in that way. But, but this, this movie, you know, if this movie were made 10 years ago, I don't think like any of these conversations would be happening because like, absolutely not. And and some people, some people have already said like, this would be absolute awards bait in, you know, 10 years ago, if this was made in the nineties or something like that, even though that's not necessarily 10 years ago, that's, 18 years ago but Ugh. you know whatever <laughs> um yeah we sorry we're about to cross into 2019 fyi uh yeah i know I'm, rough stuff I'm rough scared. stuff um oh, sorry i hit my phone and it started playing music. another for some reason our podcast is slowly becoming blank check <laughs> um so yeah i mean like it's it's I, because like here's the thing like uh, you know even three years ago i might have just been able to say like this was a fine movie the good performances a little laughs here and there and it's fine but now blessedly i guess we've we've got a, a broader conversation happening of like what is not just good representation but also like good progressive storytelling like what is actually going to do some good and i don't think this movie is in any way damaging but i think it's not like doing enough good for other people and it's it's doing such an old school kind of like pleasant racial fairy tale despite Mm -hmm. it's like basis in reality that people are just like fed up with it and like they want something a little more like revolutionary which like i can get i understand that but i don't think that it discounts like the 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 tiny pleasures that are inherent in this story but i think i think the thing about that is you know to bring it back to Detroit for the last time. I think prejudice <laughs> is a, prejudice is a prop in that movie, and I think it's similarly kind of a, a prop here. You know, when it comes to the you know p- policeman who helps them with the tire, when it comes to uh, you know this is I a actually thing with hated hidden that figures. Scene, yeah. Yeah, well, when it I, comes to hidden figures, mm-hmm. and you have the inverse, and you had Kevin Costner who was like, you know. <laughs> talking about micro steps like he was slightly more interesting as a racist as opposed to you know the the other characters who just like were violently racist or the the one who i forgot what happens to janelle Monet's character uh where she has to fight she, them in court or something she went to but, the court and like appealed to a guy's ego in order to get like in, wasn't it to go to college? I think. Yeah, it, it was go yeah. to some kind of upper upper echelon. Like because she wanted uh, to become education. like a real ass rocket scientist and not just yeah. A she, she basically wanted to be Taraji P Henson's character, and so she was pushing to basically be able to get I think like a doctorate or something sure. like that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, she appealed to you know this this judges like <laughs> yeah inherent just. It's like, if yeah. you do this, you'll be the judge that let the first mm-hmm. ever black woman of this. And he was like, oh, how about that? I, um, I think that's my I think that's my point, though, is that like this. I don't want to say the genre of film, because even, you know, even when we pointed to seemingly direct, you know, predecessors, things like Driving Miss Daisy, that is the opposite. Like, like this is an inverse of a story that's been told before. Mm-hmm. But I do think that 
it is still using the same tools in the toolbox. It's still, you know, presenting race as a series of obstacles. And like, I agree, I agree to an extent of the kind of adjacent conversation I've seen about this film of people saying it's a good road trip movie and a bad race movie, but I can't in good faith separate those and be sure because the movie very clearly wants it to be both. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I, I guess that's where I'm going is like every time where I'm like, it's fine or like, you know, speaking of of moments where I thought there was good chemistry and like, yeah, it does, it does become a weird conversation is, is this damaging? But like, I think this is almost more damaging. The fact that we, that this has some of these things in other things that would aggressively bother us, but because of the rest of the thing around it is okay that we're, giving it a pass. I know I'm getting more into generalizations here and, and talking, I guess about larger cultural conversations, but that's why I, I, I'm feeling what's happening with some of the people who are so angry about this movie. I can like, like I, I'm, I'm not about to like argue that this movie is like an all time classic and everyone no, should I, love it. I know like, you're not. yeah. I, I know you're so not. like if, if anyone is like, but I just, I guess I don't like, well, I'm not going to say I don't understand the fury because, like I said, there's a lot to be mad about in this world, and this movie can feel like an avatar for that. And and yeah, like I think that it uses some of the the tropes that we're used to, though, like you know, through through the lenses of class, maybe more than race. And I think that um, in an interesting way, a lot of like this the the stuff that happens in this movie is more about class than race. And like I said in my my opening, like I find that to be an interesting intermingling especially at this point in America to see a guy who is so smart. Like he's got like a psychology, he's like a psychologist on top of being like a music (laughs) prodigy, like, and he's clearly got a lot of money, you know, from his, his work and the record company and everything. I mean, like, and it's just awesome. (laughs) He's his apartments, (laughs) the goddamn best. Um, and so it's interesting to me. Like it's, I find that interesting. I don't understand. I personally can't see hating this in the way that like I hated Detroit just because like the movie doesn't seem to take any pleasure in shoving, you know, the racism of, of the South or other people in our face. I do. However, like you brought up the, or what about the help? Maybe the help would be something a little more textural. Fun similar. fact. Have not seen the help. You should not. Okay. <laughs> I was about to say, like, Mike's like, you should wait. No, I didn't like this that. This isn't going to be another social network where everyone yells at me to see it. <laughs> oh, where we no. have to stop the no. podcast to talk about how I have not seen the help. I am aware of no, the help. I think I've fine. seen like 30 minutes of the help. Like, that's all. You doesn't need someone to see. teach Jessica Chastain to like fry chicken? I don't think so. I think she's racist throughout that entire film. No, 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 no. The racist one is Bryce Dallas Howard, right? They're both in that movie, aren't they? It's Emma I don't Stone, think so. Jessica Chastain, and Octavia Mike? Spencer. I don't know. No, okay. Here, here, the the thing about the help I thought was that it's like this weird movie that has both of the tall statuesque redheads in it. 
Yeah, <laughs> Bryce Dallas Howard and Jessica Chastain are in that oh, movie, okay. and one of them is a good woman, and one of them is pure evil. I'm pretty sure Chastain. it's Jessica. Uh, yeah, it's Chastain yeah. that's that's the bad one. Sorry, yeah. sorry Wait, to break your are heart. Are you positive about that? She gets her just desserts. I'm pretty no sure. I, I'm pretty sure because that was kind of her announcement as like a star because she's like really good in that role, and a lot of people were like, "Whoa, who is that?" Like we know we know who the Bryce Dallas Howard, yeah. Ron Howard's daughter is, but we've never seen this Chastain chick. And so yeah, <laughs> and then and then from that point on, it was like it was like, oh, she's not blonde. Wait, no. Okay, <laughs> hold on. So. Because I needed to know, there is the first quote on the helps quote page on IMDb is someone saying, eat my shit. And then Hilly Holbrook saying, what'd you say? And then like, there's a whole exchange. And then apparently Minnie fed her some shit. Shit pie. Yeah. So Hilly Holbrook (laughs) is played by Bryce Dallas. uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. I was right. I didn't even see this movie and I'm right. are are you sure that's who it was? That's what IMDb says. I am not going to fight you on the fucking help. <laughs> All I'm saying is, I don't even know how we got onto this. I could look it up on YouTube, but I am telling you that I am pretty sure Bryce Dallas Howard is the bad one. I was trying to think of something texturally similar to the way race is handled. Right. To Green yes. Book. Um, uh, you know, Hidden Figures might also be a better, uh, you know, I just getting away from Detroit a little bit. Because I think Detroit is a different worse animal <laughs> and here's yeah I, yeah detroit is just like yeah why are we why are we talking about like pg and pg 13 rated like semi comedies versus goddamn detroit <laughs> um, torture porn yeah yeah like basically like, like okay a, hidden a figures film. so hidden, hidden figures, figures might be a better hidden stand. figures i had a problem with um only because of I, I like almost because I wanted more. Like I, I found those women sure. so interesting. Also, I hated the music that Pharrell did for it. Aww. <laughs> um, yes. No. I had like I had like I just remember hating the music in that movie so much because like it bounces too much. <laughs> and it's like too it's too modern. And he's like sure. He's it's talking it's about very... eating ice cream with his cousin and like not saying <laughs> uh, that you were there if you wasn't. And like uh, that sounds right. And then when she's like running to the bathroom, the song is like saying Russian, Russian over and over again. <laughs> which is just like come on, it's Pharrell. So on the nose. It's so on the nose. It's it super really on the nose. Um so what was I gonna say? I changed your mind, it's great. But <laughs> Best movie ever. Glad it won stuff. Um, what was I going to say? So The Help was another one of those movies. And like this is this is another complaint that has been leveled against certain movies. is like people being upset when people only set aside their racism when they realize like what they can get out of someone else. Um, so like The Help, you know, people are like, oh, like, yeah, she, like people aren't racist towards her when they realize that like she's smart and she can help get us to the moon. And like. I understand that. Like, I, I, you know, it's like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer type of argument. Like, everyone's a dick to Rudolph until they realize they can make money off of him. <laughs> like, you know, once you can monetize, like, the other, then suddenly they're your best friend. But, like, it, Yikes. you do, do you, t- like, the, the unfortunate truth of human experience is that you do need those wedges in order to, like, break through like if if people think that you're inherently inferior and then you prove them wrong or you prove that like the difference in you has some 
inherent social value, then suddenly like you've you've leveraged open the door the tiniest bit that you can get your foot through and then you can you can get them to like learn about you as a person. Like it's almost like this is a terrible analogy and I shouldn't say it. It's almost like dating. Like you know, how you first meet someone, like sometimes it's because you like did something really awesome and they're like, "Oh my god, that seems so cool." And then once you get past that, you're able to like learn more and talk more and like experience more. And that's where like everything deeper comes from. And like when people are entrenched in that way, it does take something else to go through. And I think that that's sort of what's interesting about this movie is that like he's not forced into being in this situation. Like he takes the job and while he while he has like his issues with African Americans, like he it's not like it's not like deeply necessary that he takes it because he is making money elsewhere, but he like decides to do it and like he goes and like, it's not like he has to get like bullied into it by like his wife saying like, we're going to lose the house. You're going to put your prejudice aside and go drive with this dude. I do like that. And I, Oh, okay. Are we in spoilers? We've been talking for like an hour and a half. No, we have, we we are not officially. (laughs) We are in spoilers. spoilers. Yeah. For anyone who's still listening, this is spoilers. Now I love that at the end of this movie, like she hugs uh, Doctor Don Shirley and says thanks for the help with the letters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was that, that was that, beautiful. That got me. And yeah, that's that what's so good in like two scenes. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> Linda Cardellini's great. Um, what was I going to say? I um, I liked that specifically because, like, it would be one thing for like. Like if like one of his shitty rel- well, I don't I don't want to call them shitty, but one of his like more casually racist relatives like turned to him and called no, him right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, like, but like they're not like, yeah, they're they're bad people if they're like that. But like you know, if they turned him and they're like, oh, so like now what are you gonna do? Like open up a jazz club here? And then he like hits him in the face, and everyone's like, ha ha, Tony. Like <laughs> that would be bad. But like I love that it ends on like a human note that is divorced from like everything else like she's not like you know thank you for opening my husband's eyes up to like the value inherent in everyone regardless of color or creed she's just like happy that suddenly like her husband was able to like put forward his emotions in a better way which like has nothing to do with race or like even class but just like like the general growth of humanity that comes from just like a friendship with someone who, who shows you something you didn't know existed. Like that was, that was really great. Like, that's a great, that's like, I, you know, I was already I like that ease is throughout the film though. The ease of that last scene, I I, I would agree. Like it, it's very graceful, but I'm not sure I'd say that some of the earlier scenes have that same, you know, lack of push. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'd agree with that. But it's still like that last line, I think, is just like, you know, chef's kiss. Really liked it. I, I, I'm if we're talking about spoilers, I, I guess the only other spoiler is I, I was curious whether you guys had any, you know, uh, any thoughts about the sexuality reveal. I have heard some people say that they do not think a New Yorker from this time would have been okay with his sexuality in the scene on the stairs where he's going up to his room and uh, 
and Shirley essentially apologizes for having to bust him out the previous night. Um, I, I'm just curious whether you guys had any thoughts about the only other scene. I guess that could be a spoiler. Um, I mean, that whole sequence plays lip service to everything that that is revolving around that character. But, I mean, I think... <laughs> In some ways, it it serves the other uh, Shirley. In another way, it serves to show how I guess unprejudiced uh, Vigo's character is, which is maybe unkind, maybe kind. I don't know. Um, you know, it's one of those difficult things where it's like, okay, would he have seen some things? that maybe fell into that kind of similar line around that time. Um, you know, if he was around a lot of like high profile celebrities, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, uh, that's, that's always tough because it's like, it's like you bring that historical context into it and then it's like, okay, but like if you're going to bring the historical context into it, then this whole movie just kind of becomes a wash. Does it? Oh, sure. No, it's, it's not just realism. I, I just mean like, I don't know. I might like the bar scene better, which may be a kind of a similar approach to, uh, sorry, the bar scene where he goes to get Shirley when he's in a white sure. bar. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that scene, which also kind of deals well, with his I otherizing think, in a potentially more interesting way. I am. Um, I think. I, I think. I think. What's interesting about that scene more than anything is Mahershala Ali's reaction to getting out of that bribing. situation and being mad. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, okay, but, and I think that conversation is so interesting because it is shitty that he had to do the thing that he had to do, but sure. it's also like, it's, it's a, a no win situation where it's like, I have to bend on one knee to maintain uprightness on the other knee. Like you, hmm. you can't, you can't ask me to do yeah, both. You've, you've got a bow to keep standing. Yeah. You know? And, and yeah. it's, it's one of those impossible situations. And I think, I think that's really interesting that Mahershala Ali's character is so hurt by his, his driver, his protector in some way, basically getting him out of that situation by, by, yeah, by bowing. And, you know, we see it on throughout the film where he kind of takes that stance. I'm not sure if if the scene in the big plantation house is before or after that. I think it's I think it's after. And we see him basically say, "Well, fuck it. If you're not going to let me go to the restroom in your own house, oh, the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, then then I'm going to go to my hotel and you're going to have to wait for me." You know. Yeah, and I and I think that that's also something that kind of makes me think of this as like not a white savior movie is that um he rarely gets Don Shirley any leniency from anyone. Like mm. Don does Don Shirley doesn't get to use that bathroom in that house. Don Shirley doesn't get to eat with the rest of his band at that place they're supposed to play Christmas Eve. Like sure, they have to leave. Yeah, they they leave both of those places and then come back later. So like his his savioring 
is usually it's only like you know yeah he bribes the cops and then he he punches that other guy and don surely rightly points out that he only punched him because he was upset that he mm-hmm. had like because again um as my my friend once said like you know it was like only like a couple decades ago that like italians and irish people finally became white um sure uh yeah. joe kennedy paid a lot of money to make sure that happened um <laughs> And so, like, yeah, like, the guy's like, oh, of course, you're an Italian, so you're half. It's not, like, this is so weird because they use so many slurs in this movie that I have never heard quite before. So I'm just like. He calls him a Negro, but it might be the Edward as well. I don't, I can't remember if it was the Edward. There's also eggplant. Eggplant, yeah. And so I've been avoiding saying eggplant just because I'm like. Yeah, sorry. Why would I want to use any racial slurs? But, like, yeah, like, I've, so, yeah. But anyway, so he calls him that and then he hits him. And so it's like, you know, clearly it's still a sore spot for him. But I think that a lot of this movie is Don Shirley, I guess, like having to like come back down and like realize like how much he's still battling against, you know, like it's he he almost doesn't like realize like the real danger that he is in that that Vigo Mortensen has to kind of like pull him out of and as for as for the whole a guy from New York at that time period being cool with someone's sexuality, I mean, like, I don't see that as being a problem in all honesty. Like, I like uh, you know, I've heard I I've heard stories from old men in Queens about like, you know, uh, yeah, I had this friend and like everyone knew he was a fruit bat, but no one cared. Like, you know, it's just like it was one of those things like don't bring it up at parties don't introduce me to your boyfriend but like you know just act right around me and i don't care like because i know you and you're a good guy like which again is not enlightened it's not super cool (laughs) but like yeah it it was enough to go it's like the go along to get along it's the you know i will accept this in you but dear god please don't make me have to deal with it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's um it's a yeah. It's it's a it's a weird thing. It's um, so I, I didn't really have a problem with that. I did. I liked how how Don Shirley kind of kept wanting to like avail himself of the usual courses of action. Like you know, he's in jail and he's like, I will call my attorney and I will like get out of this situation and I don't care. And then you know, he eventually has to be just like told like mother of God, like that's not going to happen. Like you don't realize that they're, they don't see you that way and they're not going to treat you that way. And you've got to like pull some, some magic here to get us out. Like calling the president. It's a good flex. (laughs) Yeah. No one would say weird flex about that. That's a good flex. Yeah. And um, when when I realized what was happening and, and that you can hear uh, the governor like yelling through the phone, like, like, cause the audience in my theater got quiet enough to actually hear that. And I was <laughs> wow. like, I was like, Oh my God, that's happening. <laughs> like, this guy is getting President fucking yelled States. at. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, what generally was your, I, I have to admit, I, I saw this on a screener, so I did not sure. see this in a theater. What was your theater's reaction to the, to the movie in general? Seem to like it. I mean, it, it, it's it's a crowd pleasing movie. You know, it is it is exactly what it's it's kind of set out the, to what do. What was the makeup of your audience too? Like all white, 
Ah, I couldn't tell because the lights were kind of already down, to be honest with you. Okay. Like, the previews weren't playing yet, I don't think, but, like, no, they were. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I didn't. I didn't take a visual representation of of my theater, <laughs> sure. but it was also a very small theater, and so I mean, you know, th- this film has, uh, you know, Mike. When we brought up even doing this film, uh, was like, "Is it still playing <laughs> near you?" And I think it came out in Thanksgiving, so yeah, around there. So you know, I mean that that kind of says a lot. I think it's been expanding, actually. I don't know if that says more about Mike's lack of knowledge of what this film (laughs) is doing, Fox Office Flies, or just that he he expected it to quickly be gone. I actually I read a box office report today that said like it it was the only like film that rose this week. (laughs) Okay, and like they kind of are expecting it to kind of like trundle along as like the more awards and stuff Mm. come out. Okay. Well, I thought I thought it opened in a thousand theaters the weekend of Thanksgiving, oh, I, and I'd I, seen one person label it a flop. So I think that's maybe around the time we started originally talking about doing this. Yeah, because we were going to do it the week it came out, um, mm-hmm. but then we didn't. And now, just for if anyone's curious, we have like seven different episodes that we're currently <laughs> trying to schedule guests for before Christmas, not even the end of the year. Uh. So get ready to hear us a lot. Um, then the stages, guys. It's and then the stages. Yeah. Oh shit! All right. Yep. <laughs> get those. Uh, get those ballots ready. Yeah. Man's best friend award for best benevolent animal in a movie. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! It's gonna. Is be it gonna be the Niffler? <laughs> the Niffler? <laughs> what is a wait? What is a Niffler? Is that like a Seuss thing? Is that no. from Futurama? <laughs> No, no, that's Nibbler. Okay. Yeah, that's the Nibbler. <laughs> Niffler is a gold-loving, shiny thing-loving creature in the Harry Potter universe that's featured oh, so throughout it's from the Fantastic Beasts. Beasts? Oh. oh, Jesus, so that's actually going to win. <laughs> we can't give an award to something from Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> we got uh, a lot of Harry Potter You have not fans. seen... Yeah, you have not seen the Niffler. Uh, just just compare this to how cute the Porg is to uh, just like imagine that on the Harry Potter universe level. Okay, like, so yeah. it, it looks a little bit like an echidna. It it looks like a platypus and like they they don't make a whole lot of bones about it not necessarily being a platypus, but it is a kleptomaniac that is interested in shiny things. And so throughout the first and second film, throughout the first film, it is a propelling force in the narrative, which is really sad, but also like kind of hilarious that like throughout this entire film uh newt scamander which is kind of the main character has to like track this character down because he keeps stealing shit and like escaping and stealing shit and escaping and just causing mayhem and and havoc all throughout new york city which i guess is a prominently shiny city at this point so yeah there's a reason they call it the gilded age um (laughs) Okay, and yes, it does. Fault that we just heard that. <laughs> it does have more of a, a duck bill now that I'm seeing actual stills from the movie. I was looking at a plush toy. And it, it looked like it had a snout and not a duck bill, which is why I called it an echidna. Gotcha. Yeah, also, anyway. is it better than Paddington? 
Like, really? Are we is calling... Better, I no, guess no. we have oh, to no, call no, Paddington no. an animal. Sure, sure. He just seems what? so what human. I don't know. Like, he's an anthropomorphic... <laughs> Like, like I don't even remember if the stages happened the year that Zootopia came out. But like, I don't think I would have accepted a Zootopia nomination. Wow! Because animal like, lizards. Uh, yeah, I'm an, I'm a speciesist. <laughs> Peta has sent me numerous direct messages chastising me for using animal cruel idioms. Um. Just dating the hell out of this. Anyway, what were we talking about? Okay, here's my thing. I do have an issue with this movie, Michael. You'd brought up like the the tire changing thing, how they get yes. pulled over, and then the cop is like, you know, you're bracing for another thing. And the cop's just like, I saw you were riding low on the left side, and it looks like you got a thing, and I'll help you out. And then it's like, yeah, this is how you know you're back in the north. But it's like, you know. They were fucking racist people everywhere. Oh, hell like, yeah. like, like, Reuben Hurricane Carter got like basically railroaded in like Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, like, you know, like this this shit uh, was uh, not. Hey, hey we, we don't we don't have to say much. We just mentioned Detroit like fifteen times on this. Also podcast. true. Yes, Detroit. <laughs> like, like clearly Jesus a northern Christ. city. Um. I just so like that. What's weird is that that stuff usually gets to me more because that to me feels more like like betraying a historical truth. Like, oh, it's fine. You're in the north now. You're safe. It's like this isn't the Underground Railroad. Like, everyone sucks. Like, you can run into a shitty person anywhere. And um, so that annoyed me. That annoyed me. But by that point, I was like, eh, it's almost over. I mean, I, I guess I didn't necessarily. Uh, it, it, the only thing that yelled the North to me from that sequence is what they're doing with the radio, where like the radio is warning you to stay off of like the the tor- turnpike or whatever, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh okay, yeah, they're definitely in New York, and then he gets pulled over, and you're like, oh okay, I guess they're in the North. But, like, they do a decent job of at least having that one cop in, in like, the racist police force that's like, yeah, maybe I, like, just get his ID through the window. Like, oh, yeah, he's like, I could just, I could just get it through the window. It's like, and, get him out then, of the car. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, he's the one that basically, like, gets him the phone call, right? And so it's, I want to say that that sequence is more, like, tr- <sighs> I don't know. Like, it sucks because they do so much good with that one sequence where it's like, okay, but like, like, yes, there was racism down there, but there was also a lot of people that were literally being pulled along by that kind of facility because they didn't have the balls or the ability really to stand up to their, to the own people that like, we're being racist and assholes, right? Right, and crucially, so, the the cop who is like, I don't think I have to take him out of the car. I could just get his thing through the window. Is the younger cop, like, yeah. and so you know, and that's generationally, people will because, become more progressive. Sure, and and that that does a lot of like goodwill, at least in my mind, of just being like, okay, like. Uh, let's show a little bit of of like a gray because i mean they show plenty of of bad down in the south and then they do that thing in the north and it's like 
it's almost like okay but maybe like he's not a shitty cop but just the same it's like okay but they do such like so much unnecessary work to make you realize that they're in the north by that point and i'm like ah fuck you know it's it's just like ah you you had a little goodwill going and you could have been a little less you know on the nose and they were just like nah let me just hit this out of the park <laughs> just and like, that is, Damn it. That is on, one of those guys. things where it's where like we we're almost like this is the weirder thing is like you're almost we as a movie producing system are almost always more comfortable giving shades to racism than we are giving shades to tolerance. Mm. Like mm. we're, we like our, our good people must always be pure. Like that cop must be like, I'm only pulling you over cause your, your tires flat. No, I'll help you too. Have a great night. Merry Christmas. Like he doesn't he, really help them though. It doesn't look like he, he like hangs just, like, out. <laughs> don't run into them don't run into them i'm like could you bend a knee and help <laughs> and like but like what's and then we have like the racist cops and like there's the one guy who's like you know probably he probably doesn't like love black people but he's not like thinking like i gotta start some shit right now and um it's always just struck me as weird how like that's a thing because like in our minds again like if there is a person who is tolerant but like has a flaw in them that usually becomes like a greater problem like you know like he becomes more problematic and so you kind of have to have them be totally good like <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's bring up detroit again um like the the racist ass wow. cops Take in detroit drink, y'all. <laughs> The racist ass cops in Detroit get more shading and characterization than anyone else in that movie. Sure. Which is one of my problems with it. But then the most. There is a tire moment in Detroit as well. When one of the guys like one of the last guys runs out of the hotel Mm -hmm. and like is running through the fence and there's a cop and he says something along the lines. That's what I was going to talk about. Yeah. Because because that cop. He says that cop is is the tire cop he is totally like jesus stepping down from the cross to help this poor battered black man and he says like who could do this to a person like come on man like you don't like he he could he could even just say like hey don't worry buddy we're gonna get you to a hospital like someone beat up this like you know I don't know, throw in some racial slur, but probably not the N word. Like he could be, he could just be shitty, but willing to help. But instead they had to make him like, for some reason, the only cop who has no idea that like during a riot, some people might get hurt. Like, like what, like what the shit? Like, why did we suddenly have to have a guy from like 2018 show up from like (laughs) Brown and put on a Detroit cops costume and then come and be like, my God, who would do this to someone? What kind of monster? Uh, Certainly no one on the police force of which I am a part. Like, uh, it's just annoys the shit out of me. Um, but again, yeah. they either have, they have to be that good. Otherwise you get accused of like making the racist person seem like good. It's, it's like the, uh, the three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri thing. Like, in um in that Sam Rockwell is a piece of shit, total racist, and he does like one 
decently right thing that in the end actually like doesn't matter and doesn't accomplish anything. And people think it's a redemption, but it's like, it's not a redemption. It's just showing you that like a complete and utter anti-Semitic racist could still call the fire department if your house is on fire and you don't have to forgive him for anything else that he did, but you do have to give him credit for calling the fire department when your house was on fire. Like, and again, you could say, Hey, you know, Adolf Jr. Like, thanks for calling the fire department because my house is on fire. Fuck you, though. Like, you're still a piece of shit. And he'll be like, okay, but I did call the fire department. And you would just have to be like, that's true. You did that. And then you have Thanksgiving dinner together. (laughs) (laughs) You're not friends Uh, with your family. (laughs) I don't know. A guy named Adolf Jr. just seems like he wouldn't be a good cook. Um... Oh, let's okay. let's let's quickly. <laughs> we need to we need to get the fuck get away from here. <laughs> so anyway, like yeah, here. the movie ends. Ooh. He comes over. There's the family dinner. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like yeah, he goes over there. He has nowhere else to go. He goes into this place and like it's. But that's like again. That is the type of thing that might like to some small degree change the mind of everyone in that room and and we know that tony lip is is going to stand up for him if anyone says anything like he's already done it basically with the the random new york people he found in like memphis or wherever they were like and that's like how the ripples start you throw the pebble in the pond and the ripples move outwards and like it might take a while and it might not be as fast as anyone would like and it may never it it not may never it will never undo the pain and injustice that came before, but it is still a form of progress. And I think that like, to some extent you have to be happy about that. I will, I will leave this as my parting word about this film. Um, I was impressed with the level of snowfall driving that they did. Like when Mahershala Ali is like taking off on that last bit uh, that car is full on going sideways and forward at the same time. And I was like, holy shit, they uh, they full on like put some snow on the fucking road. And we're like, hey, let's drive this old ass. I, I don't even know what the fuck it is. A Chevy. I don't know what the fuck that thing is, but uh, it was uh, not getting good traction. It looks <laughs> and like I was a Cadillac. Like, yeah. Either way. Yeah. It was uh, it was pretty gnarly to see that car just like full on driving sideways and forward at the same time. And I was like, yeah, I would uh, I would feel real nervous if I was driving in that weather. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know. I stole I stole stole the I stole everybody's thunder. Woohoo. Because <laughs> now we're just like, all right, how do we how do we come back from that? Yeah. Where do we go oh, now? I went to the Internet Movie Car database, and um, they don't have a listing for Green Book. It looks like that's a that's a fucking thing. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little annoyed by this actually. Like, I wonder if this is one of those websites that's like like a, like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, but, like, I assume that if you're the type of person who, like, maintains something called the Internet Movie Car Database, you're, like, scouring trailers and stuff. Um, maybe maybe he's got a back catalog. You never know. 
True. It's possible. Also, like, I wonder if this is one of those things that, like, hasn't been updated since 2005. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. I bet that the Internet Movie Gun Database ah! is, like, real on point, though. I, I watched a trailer for Welcome to Marwin, and I thought I recognized Gwendolyn Christie, and I did indeed. Oh, okay. how about that? Yeah. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I guess my parting words about this movie, it's not... It's not sorry to bother you, you know. It's it's not it's not that kind of movie, and it's not courting the same people. This is legitimately the type of movie that like your grandparents or your parents would go see. Did and you I, like this better than Hidden Figures? I'm just curious. <sighs> yeah, I think <laughs> I did. I think I did honestly. <laughs> um, because what I remember from my what I remember from my response to Hidden Figures was again the music. I hated. <laughs> um, and Russian, 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 <laughs> Russian, Russian. Um, yeah, I'm going to have that stupid song stuck in my head again. What was I going to say? I remember that there were many things that I liked about hidden figures. I, I liked again, the idea that Kevin Costner's character isn't like, you know, Oh man, like this woman is a human being and deserves respect. He's like, I lose her for an hour every time she has to go to the bathroom and I am trying to go to the goddamn moon. Like that to me is a more realistic concept of how racism is slowly destroyed because like, and that's why I brought up the Rudolph the red nosed reindeer thing. Like I like that you don't turn him into a hero. You just turn him into a guy who realizes that like to get anything done in society, you have to tap into every available resource and then unleash them to their full potential. Like mm -hmm. one of the reasons that um, some social scientists think that we've had an explosion of technological innovation and stuff is the fact that people in like countries that we used to like colonize and put down um, and people who we used to like never allow to enter the workforce or education are suddenly allowed to. So like class suddenly doesn't matter as much gender, um, race, you know, ethnicity, those things have stopped mattering. Like anyone, you know, to an extent can go to college. Like if you have a good idea, you can put it out there. And so like it has been, you know, as we've democratized and, and like lowered our prejudices to a point, we have allowed for people like basically until like a hundred years ago, like 90% of the world wasn't allowed to give anything back or like make any substantive, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Contributions to anything, you know? So you had white guys building ships and you had white guys making farm equipment. And then as time slowly goes on, you're able to have like women and Africa or African Americans, but like people from Africa, people from everywhere, like the explosion of, of innovation coming out of like China and India as they've like modernized as well. So like things like that are the things that make people stop being terrible and racist because like it does sometimes eventually come down to just like you know they're not gonna just banish the hate from their heart because they've suddenly been struck by a rainbow they're just gonna be like oh like i see the value in you now and like that shittiness will then make them stop shit talking people to their children and then their children will never grow up with any of that hatred in their heart and they'll just like be able to flourish as as normal people because like again it's a cliche but racism has to be taught like, 
there is some biological impulse towards comfort from people who look like you. It's like how we were able to identify ourselves when we were like closer to animals. It's how you forge familial bonds. It's why my daughter is like super in love with a friend of mine who basically looks exactly like me um, down to the beard, though he has no hair. Um, it's it's things like that. So like I liked that in Hidden Figures. I And I loved the performances like Janelle Monae in that was great. Octavia. Taraj. Was that? Oh, yeah. Taraji P. Henson. Yeah. was Taraji, great. Yeah. And um, what was it? Octavia Spencer, right? Uh-huh. And Mahershala yes. Ali. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He won uh, Best Smile, I think, at the stages. Anyway, like yes, he did. <laughs> like those are all great actors, but I was like a little annoyed that like they had chopped up the movie and like you know Taraji P Henson was clearly the the main character, but like I was sure. super interested in everything that Janelle Monae and um, Octavia Spencer were doing too. I wanted to see more of it. So like, I think that this movie by having a narrower focus allows me more time with the characters. I think by not having Pharrell making the, <laughs> the, the soundtrack, you know, as, as like, if that's a super like shallow thing to criticize a movie for, but that's, I just have to be true to how I feel. Like I have to speak my truth and his music really did take me out of that movie. Um, I also think that not having older young Sheldon is good for this movie. <laughs> Whatever that guy's name is. He does those annoying computer commercials. I want to say that I saw the first minutes of Big Bang. I, I don't mean this is like an elitist snobby thing. I I had never seen any Big Bang Theory until earlier this week. Holy fuck. Why do people watch Big Bang Theory? <laughs> Yeah, people are talking about Green Book being offensive. Can we talk about Big Bang Theory? Let's that's the real death. That's the real danger to America. We gotta get rid of that. But um Yeah, I hated I hated him. Um It did have uh Glenn Powell in it though. It did. So that's a plus. I mean like it's the type of thing, it's it it's almost like they're in my mind like the same movie, except that like Green Book pairs it down. And gives me just two characters to follow. And so like. And and they and they're always together. So like every minute of the movie, you know, after they finally hit the road is devoted to both of them together. Whereas the hidden figures are like dispersed except for like the church picnics and like the rides to work. And so I was like more frustrated with that movie than anything else. So I would say that I like this more than hidden figures. All right. And I've not seen the help. But for some reason, I still knew that Bryce Tellis Howard was the mean one. Well, someone does eat a shit pie. I mean, that Spoilers really makes me want to see it. minutes of the help. <laughs> oh, that happens at like the end? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, huge spoiler, but whatever. <laughs> is, that, is that is that like the climax? Basically. Like it's I, one of like the, the final. What the hell is that comedy. movie? <laughs> I don't um, agree with this, but okay. But you don't, it's not at the climax? I don't think so. <laughs> it's fine. I don't understand how you two could have seen this movie and have seemingly less of an idea <laughs> of what it's about than I do, and you're okay. still arguing about it. Uh, you're talking to Bill, though. That's true. We are talking to Bill. Um, so, yeah, I would, I, like, if I, I would have to go, like, haven't seen the help. 
Um, but that one seems like a lot more of a white saviory thing because that movie is like Fine, purely <laughs> through the lens of Emma Stone, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I shouldn't have mentioned the help if you're actually going to ask me questions about it. Well, it's it's part of this tradition. Like this time of year, sure. like every other year, we get one of these movies, and yeah. you know, like I can understand that. Like as a if 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 you know if the roles were reversed and like I had to see every year, like, you know, another movie that's, like, about some person who didn't like me learning that I had value, like, that would fucking suck. But, like, the thing that we sometimes forget being critics and culture writers and things like that is, like, people don't see every movie that comes out. You know? Like, what? Pe- <laughs> people don't see every movie that comes out. It's crazy. Yeah. I know. Um, but, um, and and they forget about the movies that come out like you know my mother has this thing where it's like you know i'll say like hey ma have you seen this movie wow that was the most new york i've sounded ever on this podcast um that was ridiculous yeah so i'll say to her, uh, hey ma have you seen this movie and she'll say oh yeah i did but you know it was like two years ago so it'll all be new to me let's put it on <laughs> you know so like it it, it some people haven't seen anything like this before. Like we can say like, Oh God, you know, we get one of these movies every year, but like there's going to be someone who goes out and says, I went and saw that green, the, that, that green book. Oh, such a good movie. Like, why don't they make more movies like that? You know, (laughs) because they will not have seen help hidden figures and whatever, (laughs) you know? So I don't think like, I, I think that you, you sometimes have to like, remember that as, as a writer and as a critic. I refuse. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and again, like I've, I've said a lot of good things about this movie. I've said the things that are critical. I'm sure there are other things that I could say that are critical, but like, I'd say this movie is like a B minus, like, which is, is fine. Like it's, it's (sighs) fine. I just, it's a decently all right movie. (laughs) I just slumped in my chair, but Linda Cardellini was in Brokeback Mountain. Yes. Huh. All right, guys. I'm on her IMDb. Uh, let's, let's yeah, I, I need to eat something. Yeah, I need to. Uh, my throat hurts. Um, I need to <laughs> drink some water. So, uh, yeah. Um, just a recap of the episode: 300 flavors of Kit Kats. Detroit. Michael loves ginger ale. We talked a lot about Detroit for some reason. Um, torture's bad. And Green Book is a movie that is out that is currently getting awards attention. And, you know, it's either the worst abomination to hit America since Trump was elected or it's just a fine, light, fluffy movie with a positive message. And white guilt is a is a big engine at the box office. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> I was just about to say something like really uh fucked up but i'm not going to um i'll say it off mic (laughs) that's it for today um go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money and movie.com slash the film uh, slash film stage you will get a free 30-day trial on us a lot of great stuff out um i'm super looking forward to this uh double bill dedicated to uh lena rodriguez um I have to say, like, you know, they say Senoritas has been, uh, Senoritas has been compared to Lena Dunham's girls, which makes me nervous because she has been in the news a lot recently and for good reason. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, she just keeps putting herself out there and we just keep saying stop. Um, but I'm, I'm interested. I, I'm interested to see what, you know, someone with this background does with that. Cause like, you know, Lena Dunham is like, Oh, it's like a rich white girl with artist parents talking about real women and their issues. And I, I think that, uh, this could be a, a more interesting, um, more interesting look. Also, don't forget the penis is still on there. Um, yeah, that's all. That's it. We're done. Um, coming up on the film stage show that we know of. (laughs) What if we did like a next week on Mad Men type of thing and it's just like nothing but opaque statements? Whatever bad tangent we'll have next week. Next week on the film stage show. It's like two ducks fucking. It's just like, what the hell could that be about? But for real, folks, we're going to be talking in no particular order with no um, real commitment to when they're coming out. Roma, Vox Lux, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, Wait, one of those does have two ducks fucking, doesn't it? What? No, seriously. Wait, in Roma does. Scene, yep. yep. Oh, yep. you're right. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. That would have been perfect if that was the tease. Only that people who've tease. seen Roma. Oh, my God. Um. But <laughs> how do we even come back? How do we end this episode now? What was I going to say? We're going to be talking about Roma. We're going to be talking about Vox Lux. We're going to be talking about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. We may be talking about Bumblebee. Probably definitely going to talk about Into the Spider-Verse. That is five movies before Christmas. And again, there's other stuff. Uh, Vice. We're going to talk about Vice at some point. <laughs> We might talk about burning. We had talks about burning. That. We might talk about burning. Um, that's seven. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, the ones we mentioned are probably happening. Yeah, you can look forward to those at some point. No one's still listening to this podcast anyway. Uh, probably Vox, Lux, and Roma are the next ones to yeah. expect. Yes. And then Buster Scruggs to, to slowly follow that. Um, slowly. Not slowly to soon follow. Anyway, uh, no one's still listening to this. Oh everyone, shit. everyone turns it off once they hear me plug Patreon again. I could say whatever Bill, Bill I want right now. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's uh, let's tell the fine folks at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we babble incoherently into their ears. Bill Graham, uh, I can I can still be here. Uh, found on <laughs> I can still be here? <laughs> you were never really here. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG if you want more of this. Uh, you, you want more of on, this? <laughs> you can find me on uh, the Slack channel as well. Um, my uh, group does not vote on anything until like the end of the year. So woo! slackers <laughs> yeah michael and i both of our critics groups have already put their shit out yeah and uh so, la film critics association put out their stuff today in toronto and philly yeah philly had some crazy ones <laughs> i don't think i've seen those yet i'll have to check them out um yeah michael snydell tell the, 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 the thing that i told bill to do yeah <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell, where I will be workshopping my new idea for the online movie database for livestock. Um, 
I, I was originally going to say for animal fucking, and then I realized, <laughs> oh my god, I cannot say that. Don't do that. Don't. <laughs> yes. Many the Internet problems. Movie Livestock Database. Perfect. Also, uh, I, I've already talked about it before, but the Chicago Film Critics Association, as Brian just said, they announced all of their winners. Uh, and it seems like Roma is going to sweep every award in history. All right. And um, you can go to wafca.com to see the winners of the Washington Area Film Critics Association Awards. Find my writing and all these episodes at thefilmstage.com, my personal site, dearfilm.net. Uh, also known as BrianJerowen.com. I uh, republished a short story that I had lost, so check that out. It's called Simultaneous Dog, and it is weird. Um, That's it for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in whenever the next one happens. 